Hey, hey, what's up? Spring Break Sunday. Hey, uh, everybody's tired, so there's that. Uh, my name is Daniel Wagner. I'm the student pastor here. And uh, Robert Green, our senior pastor, is going to be back next week. So if you're a guest, don't leave because, uh, you know, he'll come back next week. Anyway, uh, hey, I'm really glad you're here today, and I hope we enjoy our time together. Molly prayed a really appropriate prayer that we would surrender all of our lives to Jesus because he can be trusted. And that's really where we're going today. Robert, uh, we're in between series as a church, and Robert uh, sat down with me a little while ago and said, you can preach about whatever you want to preach about. Just, uh, you know, it's spring break, so make sure people get out early and uh, don't be bad. So I'm going to try to do those two things so you have something to look forward to down the road. Uh, Hey, take a second around and look at someone next to you and say, it's okay, me too. Yeah, help me out. Let's do it. It's okay, me too. Uh, And you just said, it's okay that you're not somewhere on spring break right now. I'm not either. Uh, (laughs) That's how I feel. So uh, here's where we're going today. Today, we're going to look uh, in a place that we all frequent often. We're going to the book of Malachi. So Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Let's turn there together. Uh, we'll do a little Bible drill. Whoever gets there first in one of the Bibles that comes out of the pew, if you shout it out to me, I'll let everybody know. Uh, but it's going to be on the screen too. So it's Malachi chapter one. Here's a little context for where we're going with this. Uh, in this book of Malachi, it was, uh, Malachi was a prophet. So he prophesied on behalf of God. God gave Malachi a word for the Israelites, his people. And this is right before uh, we, we talk about a period of inner testament silence where God stopped speaking through prophets for about 400-ish years until Jesus came. So this is one of the last words to people before Jesus. Uh, and this is a word directly to priests and the nation of Israel. So we're in Malachi chapter 1. We're starting in verse 6. Uh, This is how it goes. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I'm a father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, that's the priests, how have we polluted you? And the Lord says, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you and show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord. There's some Old Testament language and some formality that we'll push through. This is a word from God to priests. Priests in Israel had this responsibility to make sacrifices to go on behalf of the people to God. Now, the Old Testament's really clear. There was nothing special about Israel. There was nothing special about the Jews that God chose them over another people, but out of his great love for them and his purpose in their life, God chose the nation of Israel and his people, the Jews. 
So when God came down, there was this, this atoning for sin, this payment for the people's sin that had to happen. God gave them a way to live and a way not to live. And often the people chose the things that God commanded them not to do instead of the things that God commanded them to do. So those are things that we intentionally do that God's told us not to do and things that we intentionally don't do that God has told us to do. That's a definition for sin. And it was the priest's responsibility to make sacrifices of animals according to this really strict code. Uh, I could be a nerd here and we could go into a deep Levitical law of sacrifices. If you're into that, I'll be around later. I promise I'll go into Levitical law with you. But uh, for everybody else in the room who's not super interested in that, uh, just so we know, these animals had to die. The payment for our people's sin was blood. And it was the priest's responsibility to perform those sacrifices so that people could be in right relationship with God. Our sinfulness keeps us from God. The sacrifice brings us back together. So these priests had a responsibility to do these sacrifices so the people would be good with God. But here's what happened. The priests in this context, in this day, had gotten tired of doing all the sacrifices correctly. So they were still sacrificing animals, but God had a high standard. God didn't want the leftovers or the lame animals. God wanted the best and the first as a real sacrifice, something that would have meaning in the life of his people, something that would hurt, that we would feel in a way that we could know, God, this, is, this offends you, our sin offends you, and we want to make up for it. But somewhere along the way, these priests decided, that's just too hard, we're going to cut corners, we're going to offer blind animals or lame animals, and God won't care. And then God speaks through Malachi and says, I definitely do care. He says, if you offer these things to your governor, would he accept them? The answer is no. This is a lame sacrifice. Nobody wants a lame sacrifice. Nobody wants a bad gift. Like, you know when someone gives you a gift on your birthday or at Christmas and you're like, this is great, socks, thanks. Like, no one wants a lame gift. God's the same way. God doesn't want a lame sacrifice. So, these priests had somewhere along the way decided that they just didn't care enough to do the work that God had called them to do. And at the very end, that line that I, I kind of paused on, tried to put some dramatic delivery into, the priest said, what a weariness this is. What a burden this is. It could also be translated. So these are people, insiders, who know God. They're set aside in society, bred to be priests at a young age, go through a lot of school, work really hard, know the Bible at that point inside and out, but they lost sight of what was important, and that was following God like he told them to. And that's real for all of us. That's really real for me. We know what God's told us to do and told us not to do, and it's not for the sake of right and wrong. It's not like God's in heaven, he's got a checklist and he's checking. I mean, that's true, but not in a Santa Claus way. Like, God really wants us to live our life for him because that's what he deserves. That passage talked about the Lord being praised among the nations and being great in all the nations. And we lose sight, just like these priests did, of how great God is, and how much we owe him in response to the great gift that he's given us in Jesus. 
So for all of us, we're not sacrificing animals anymore in our backyard. I hope you're not. If you are, come talk to me afterwards. I'll only call PETA if I have to. So hopefully you're not sacrificing goats and sheep in your backyard. Uh, But for us, what God desires instead of the blood of animals, because Jesus paid that ultimate price, coming into the world, taking the burden of our sin, all the things that we did wrong that offended God. Jesus died, took the punishment that we deserved, and now we get the life that he's given us, a life of following him and a life that we live for him. But all of us are like these priests. Somewhere along the way, we lose sight of what is really, really important, and that's us living our life for God in the ways that he's told us to. The Bible is really clear about what he calls us to do and not to do. But if you're like me, sometimes we end up halfway serving God, right? We know the things we're supposed to do are supposed to do-ish, what God wants from us, so we just kind of put a little bit of effort into making sure that those things look good. So we kind of work hard-ish at our jobs because we know God honors good work, but like we kind of hold back because we don't really like our boss, we don't like where we work. Not me, but you guys, like... Like, it's, it's, you know, yeah, yeah, help me out here, thanks. Self-incriminating, I'm just playing, not really. Uh, so there's that. You can love your spouse and be gracious to them, kind of, whenever you feel like it, because it's convenient, or you can live at peace with your roommates, kind of, whenever there's time for that. Or you can not hate your neighbor, but not really love your neighbor, right? You guys are living in the same world I'm living in. There's this tension in our life. How do we give everything we have to Jesus? And how do we still get what we want at the same time? And those things are pretty incompatible. Check this out. This is what happens to most of us. Sometimes we halfway serve God. We act like we didn't know we were doing anything wrong often. That's the thing with the priests. They were like, "Uh, how have we profaned your name, O God? And God's like, you know what you're doing? Why are you pretending you don't know what you're doing? And that's the story of all of our lives. We know what God set out before us, what God's called us to do, the moments that we don't obey him like we should. But sometimes we're like, maybe, I don't know. We can't, we can't really do that because the Bible's really clear. And then we don't feel like it's worth our time or our effort to give God worship, to give God the good works that he's prepared for us to do. Like these priests, they said it's a weariness. It's a burden. It's tiring. It takes a lot of work. And I just don't know if I want to do the work. And we all live here, and we're all there. But what we see is that that's not what God desires for us. These excuses that we put up often, uh, they feel good to us, but God really calls us beyond those things. Here's a classic example of knowing something that we should do and not doing it in the story of the Titanic. So this is not the story of how... uh, Leo could have fit on the door and he didn't at the end, like right and wrong like that. It's not that story, but the the actual Titanic, not the movie. Uh, 
so these guys, let me make sure I get their names right because, you know, history is not going to look at them kindly and hasn't. Uh, Captain Edward J. Smith, you know, he's the guy with the cool outfit on. And then uh, the owner and operator of the cruise line, uh, J. Bruce Ismi. So these guys were on the Titanic, right? Titanic, this epic voyage. It's going to go, you know, across the Atlantic Ocean. It's a luxury cruise liner. Everybody who's everybody is on it or watching it. So these guys felt a lot of pride about staying on a really, really tight schedule. And we know the story, right? Titanic, icebergs. They were like, we could beat the icebergs. And they ran into an iceberg and then people died, right? That's the story that we know. Here's, here's kind of underneath the story of the Titanic. So uh, they had radio operators on the, on the ship and people, other ships that were passing by for the three or four days before the Titanic actually sank sent them somewhere between seven and 14 messages that said, there are an unusually high number of icebergs in your area. You're going to want to adjust your course. Somewhere between 7 and 14. And these guys, as cool as they may look, decided that they were just going to push through. They didn't really weigh the risk or the consequence, what could happen, what might happen. They wanted to keep the peace, do the easy thing, stay on track. Sound familiar? And what happened? They didn't adjust course. They hit an iceberg. Over 1,500 people died. Now, our decisions might not be as big as those decisions in terms of the life and collateral damage that we do whenever we don't follow Jesus in obedience and doing the things that he's called us to do. Uh, but that's true for us in our own ways. Like, God doesn't give us things to do because he got bored and he felt like it. When we live our life for Jesus and when we know him, we're the best versions of ourselves. Like God has created every man and woman to know him in relationship and restore them back to the way that we were before we sinned and before the fall. So following Jesus is not just this nice thing, it's the ideal for our lives. But so often we pick what we have and what we want to do instead. The great part is, is there's a lot of grace that comes on the other end of all of these things. Here are a couple of passages that I want us to look at together so that we can really remind ourselves of, uh, of what God says about us following him. One, here are four things. The first one, remind ourselves of God's grace. Let's check this passage out. The sting of death is sin, but the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. We've got to remind ourselves of the grace that God has given us, right? We're not doing this alone. If we were depending on our own strength to live up to God, even if we know Jesus, if we were depending on our own strength, the things that we can do, the things that we can muster up on ourselves, the way that we can convince ourselves to follow him, we're going to fall flat. But God has not left us alone. The Holy Spirit is inside of believers and he counsels us and equips us and teaches us and gives us the works to do, is very clear in the things that he's called us to do and not to do. But we've got to remind ourselves of God's grace so that we know that we need to be steadfast and movable. Oh, sorry, I faked you out. We need to be steadfast and movable. Let's go back to the last passage. Sorry. We need to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord 
knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. We know that when we live our lives for Jesus, we're living for something bigger than ourselves. Life is not about you. Life is not about me. Life is about God and what he's created us to do. Ephesians 2 talks about God saving us by grace, not through anything that we could do, and setting up uh, us to do these good works that he's prepared for us in advance. That's what God wants from us in our worship. It's not the blood of goats and lambs, whatever condition they may be in. God wants our lives pursuing him, doing the things that he's called us to do with everything that we are. But when we do that in our own strength, we fall flat. But we know that we remember God's grace, what he's done for us, and what he's called us to do. That when we live our life for him, we get to be a part of what he's doing in the world. The second, we look forward to the reward. So some of you are probably like, ooh, this is going to get all weird now. But uh, listen, here's the deal. The Christian life is a life of blessing. Like God doesn't want us to be sad, mopey people who walk around all the time reflecting on our own sin. Uh, that's why he gave us grace, because he loves us. He saved us from those things. So uh, before we get scary about the reward, let's look at that. I'll come back to the beginning. So here's in Galatians 6. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his own flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we don't give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So there's common themes, right? What do we see? Don't grow weary of doing what is good, for in due season we will reap. God has sent us out into the world as workers into the harvest. That's what Jesus prayed. He said the work is plentiful, but the workers are few, so pray for more people to go out into the world, into the harvest. So as his people, like when we, when we are committed to living our life for him, we're seeing the kingdom of God be built more and more. And there's blessing in that for us, right? What are the things that Jesus promises us? He promises us joy. He promises us peace. And those are the things that we get whenever we live our life for him. When we're selfish and we're inward focused, when we hold back, when we don't give him everything that we are, those are the things that rob us of joy and lead to, ten lead to tension and strife and problems. But when we live our life for him and we live in the design that he created us to be in, then that's when we have the things that he promises us. Let's go to the next one. Depend on God to comfort and strengthen us. So if we're gonna live this life for God, if we're gonna not hold back, if we're gonna give him everything we are, if we're gonna be authentic worshipers of him, We've got to depend on God to comfort and strengthen us. Now, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself, our God and Father, who loved us and gave us eternal life and com eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So there's a promise, right? Like we talked about, when we think about God's grace and what we want to do in response to what he's done, we know that he's near to us, that he's going to strengthen us to do these things. We can't do these things alone. We've got to have him because we're working for him and we're working with him. God's called us alongside himself and so many other peoples, so many other people to do the work that he's called us to do. So we've got to remember to really, really seek his comfort and the strength because we're going to get worn out if we're doing it on our own. That was the priests. They didn't care about the things that they were doing and they wandered away from God. So we've got to seek to be strengthened by him. And four, the last thing, We've got to make knowing God more a personal priority. 
Check this passage out. We've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience and joy. Let's go back one more. We're asking that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. If we're going to live our life for him, we've got to know what he wants us to do. He's been really, really clear to us in what he wants us to do. We don't have to walk through the world and think, oh, okay, how should I treat this person? Or how should I treat, is this person my neighbor? Is this person not my neighbor? Uh, is this person someone that I should love or that I shouldn't love? But we see what God has for us in the word clearly. But so often we're guilty of neglecting spending time in God's word. I get paid to do this. And I neglect spending the time that I should in God's word. But if we want to live our life for him, if we want to worship him authentically and in everything that we do, we have got to get back to his word and be people who want to know what he has for us. Our faith is different from so many other faiths of the world besides the fact that it's true. God has revealed what he has for us. We don't have to guess. We don't have to comb through all these teachings and wonder which prophet is true or which God is true or which priest should I put my hope in. We know clearly in an evident way what God wants us to do, what God calls us to do. So we don't have to waste our time guessing and wondering. We can go to the word and make it a priority in our life to want to know more and more of what God has for us. So those are four things about ways that we can put God first in everything that we do. Now, those can be four nice tips and tricks for you. Uh, there's that. But I think it would be a shame if we really didn't think about placing God first in our consciousness every day, in every moment we live. Uh, recently there was a movie, Hacksaw Ridge, which I didn't even see, right? I'm talking about this movie that I didn't even see. I'm sure it was great. It was nominated for Academy Awards. Anyway, uh, true story, so I'm not going to ruin anything for you. I didn't even see the movie. You can find everything online. That's the beauty of the internet. Anyway, so this guy, let's put pictures up. Yeah, this is Desmond Doss. He's, the, he's portrayed by Andrew Garfield in the movie. He's a World War II veteran, and uh, he really has a pretty incredible story. So Desmond, he lived and worked in a, a naval kind of compound facility. So he built naval ships. And uh, when Pearl Harbor happened, he had a way to not have to go to serve in World War II because he was working on ships. But he felt really morally obligated to go and serve his country. He was a believer, a really devout Seventh-day Adventist, which made him kind of a conscientious objector to wars and to fighting. Uh, but he really still felt led to go. So he had this tension in his life. He was like, okay, how do I, how do I serve? 
my country, but how do I also honor what's true to me and my faith? So he enlisted as a medic. He thought that would be the best way to help people, but he wouldn't carry a gun. So fast forward, has a hard time in training, has people trying to kick him out because the basic, the people that he's serving alongside don't really like him because they think he's a liability because he doesn't have a gun. And all the while he's seeking out, how do I be true to my faith? How do I be true to what I think God's led me to do? He sees uh, combat in two other places before his really big moment that we all remember him for and that he was given the Medal of Honor for. Uh, He was in the Battle of Okinawa, and Hacksaw Ridge is the name of the movie because it's really where most of this action went down. Uh, This ridge was really essential to winning the battle in Okinawa. And during the time that Desmond was there, he and his, his platoon, essentially, the groups of people that he was serving alongside, pushed up against this ridge. Very well defended, high ground that needed to be captured, machine gun, artillery fire all around. People started falling because they were hit by these things. So people were wounded, couldn't move. And Desmond ran out and got someone. No gun, no way to defend himself, but knew God's called me here, this is where I'm supposed to be, goes out, grabs somebody, brings them back. Goes out, grabs somebody, brings them back again. Goes out, grabs somebody, brings them back again. By the end of this, he claims it was 50 people The number that's been attributed to him has been 75 people that he saved. So these were people who were wounded. He ran out onto the battlefield, threw things that surely could have killed him to get these people to bring him back so that they could be saved. The people who he served alongside said that it was somewhere closer or over 100 people. And only later do we know that when he would go get someone and bring them back, He would pray a prayer. People heard him pray. Lord, help me get one more. Lord, help me get one more. Ran potentially to his death to get one more person. Brought him back. Prayed, Lord, help me get one more. Ran. Brought him back. Lord, help me get one more. And for all of us, We've got moments in our life where we can pick. Do I honor God? Do I do the thing that he's called me to do? Do I love my spouse selflessly? Do I honor the people that I work for? Do I love my neighbor? Am I merciful to my children? Do I love my roommates in a way that's selfless? Do I give of of everything that I am to my church? Do I share the gospel with people like I'm supposed to? Do I take up the cause of the widow and the orphan? Do I run to helping the marginalized? All these things that God's called us to do come up in our everyday life and we have an opportunity to honor God with everything we are. We don't have to be like the priests who are apathetic, who don't care, we can consciously put God first in everything that we do. Check this out. When we consciously place living for Jesus 
and every moment of our life is our top priority, we're less likely to fall into sin and into apathy. In every moment of our life, we have a decision. Do I honor God? Do I worship him? Do I give him what he's due because he loves me and he saved me and I want to live my life for him? Or do I do what's easy, convenient, and comfortable for me? We have those decisions all the time in our life. And I want to challenge us together to not be like the priests who are apathetic, who said, God, following you is a burden. It's just too hard. It's a weariness. I'm tired. I want to challenge you to look to the truth of who God is in his word to know that he's given us grace and to be motivated by that grace to live our life for him, to depend on him, to strengthen us, to look forward to the reward and the things that come with living in obedience to him, and to prioritize knowing him more. In all those things, we've got to consciously put living for Jesus first in our mind just like the story we heard. Lord, help me get one more. Lord, help me get one more. We should be a people who pray, God, I want to honor you in this. God, I want to honor you in this. God, I want to honor you in this. Let's pray.